Good morning. And I'd like to wish you a happy new year. First time I've seen you this year. And also, just a happy epiphany. It's good news. As we looked at the um, gospel together, the, the sermon text, I ask you to please stand out of respect, because this is the gospel. Looking in the gospel of Matthew, again, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It's the same page as the gospel reading that uh, we just had, and... Um, right after the wise men leave. And um, this is, I'm reading from the ESV, so if the words are not quite what you have, that's okay. I'm not going to read them to you in Greek. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. This is the true Word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for having Holy Scripture written and for preserving it and for bringing it to our hearts and minds. Thank You, Father, that through Your Word we can know You. We can know our Savior. So, Father, as we look to Your Word now and always, open our minds and our hearts and our lives in our homes, Jesus Christ, our only Savior. In His name we pray, amen. You please be seated. Right now over in, um, in Fairbury, I think that, yeah, Pastor Andy, Andy Olson, is probably, has probably been talking with our Sunday school children about going to Tanzania, and what it is to serve the Lord in a distant country where not very many people know who Jesus is. So we've enjoyed having them in our, in our home and at the church. Um, so Pastor Andy is there, um, Alexis, his wife, and there's little Mariah, who's about two years old, and she's a little sweetheart. And so I've once again in the Hart House, I've heard the sounds of that old alligator xylophone being pounded on energetically. <laughs> and there's also Selah, who I, if I remember right, is about nine months old and has one of the biggest, most joyful smiles I've ever seen. So I suppose they have to leave. I suppose we can't keep them. <laughs> Tanzania's calling. So, but it's amazing to look at these children, two years old, nine months, and think that somewhere in that age range, we don't know exactly where, but that's how old Jesus was when the wise men came and here when they left. This is my Savior, and he was the same age at one time. 
physical age. Well, today is the day of Epiphany. We remember the wise men coming. We've kind of forgotten about that holiday now, but actually in church history, that was much more prominent. It was bigger than Christmas. Now, it's just, now it just means the 12 days of Christmas are over. So the holidays are almost over. The 12 days of Christmas are over. I assume the presents have been opened. We had two open the presents days because the first time Eric and Sarah weren't there from St. Louis, New Year's Day they were, so we had kind of two Christmases. That works. Hopefully we've opened the Bible again. And we've heard all of those wonderful words about the events of the coming of Jesus Christ to earth. Now that it's Epiphany, does that mean that we get back into our normal routines? May have been a similar question for Mary and for Joseph. There had been so many amazing events involving angels and shepherds. A stranger, Simeon, had held the newborn baby in his arms when they brought him to the temple. And he told them something about Now he could depart in peace because he had finally seen the salvation of the Lord. And he said that when he was holding a little baby and looking at that baby's face. And sometime in the next two years after that, wise men from somewhere off in the east, we don't know where, but they'd come to the door of their house. Mary and Joseph had their little miracle baby who looked so human. All of that was now over. So now what? Now it was time to raise the family, get back to work. But it wasn't going to be that simple, was it? The family was not going to be allowed to live a peaceful and quiet life there in Bethlehem for very long. Life could not be ordinary or peaceful. Because the child that they were raising is the Son of God, the Savior for sinners. And that was just too good of news for us. Satan was going to try to frustrate God's plan. Satan was going to try to assassinate the Messiah. There would be no time for Mary and Joseph just to stay and live comfortable, obscure lives in Bethlehem. They'd have to make an escape. Get out of harm's way. During the night, while Joseph was sleeping, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, telling him, Get up! Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Because King Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. going to try to kill the only hope that all of us have. The wise men from somewhere east had just visited Jesus. They told King Herod that they traveled so far so they could with their own eyes see this newborn king, the one who'd been born king of the Jews. And the the man who thought he was king of the Jews, King Herod, did not take that news very well. He was just filled with 
murderous rage. He was the kind of ruler who would protect his throne at all costs. But the wise men, I guess they were wise, they'd never went back to his palace like he told them to. And that upset him even more. Any threat to his power had to be eliminated because in some people's eyes, power is everything. So King Herod would send his soldiers into Bethlehem with orders to kill any boy under the age of two. We know also from the history books that King Herod was a vicious person. Other records from that time mention that Caesar Augustus had said that it would better to be King Herod's pig than his son. Since pigs were protected by law, but King Herod's family was always in danger. King Herod, I don't understand this man, King Herod had already murdered two of his sons. And he even had killed his favorite of his ten wives. He killed his 18-year-old brother-in-law because the Jews liked him better than they liked King Herod. He'd also killed his own uncle and his mother-in-law. And he was going to take care of that little threat, a little boy, a baby or toddler. going to take care of that little threat in Bethlehem that threatened his power. But the devil's scheme was unsuccessful. An angel came and told Joseph to get up. It was time to get out of Bethlehem. Let's face it, the mastermind of this whole attempt against the Messiah's life was Satan. This was his very first attempt that we know of to get rid of our Savior to make a stop of God's mission of salvation, which would mean we could never be forgiven and we would never have the hope of everlasting life. So while the soldiers were still far enough away, Joseph got up in the night, I'm sure gathered a few things together, gathered up his family and started for Egypt, where they'd live safely until King Herod himself died. So King Herod lost, Satan lost, and a prophecy was fulfilled, coincidentally. Hundreds of years earlier than this, God had inspired one of the prophets to write, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Hosea had written that, he was referring probably to the nation of Israel as a whole, being called out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. The Holy Spirit had also let Matthew write so we could know that these words also apply to Jesus. Because Jesus spent a large part of his childhood in Egypt. So Mary and Joseph with the child Jesus lived back in the land where the people had once been slaves. We know there were other Jews living there. So there would have been a nice Jewish community where they could have found a home. But they couldn't stay comfortable down there either. 
one day, uh, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream again and told him it was safe to go home. So Joseph and Mary packed up again and brought the Messiah back to the promised land. By the way, Karen mentioned to the Olsons last night that Karen and I, since we got married, have moved 17 times. We, had, we, we didn't have to use donkeys and we didn't have to walk. Okay, we had U-Hauls, we had cars, we had help. Traveling from one place to another back then was probably a lot more dangerous even than having a U-Haul blow a tire in St. Louis traffic. I don't think I've told you that story yet. But they got back, they were getting back to, the, to, to Bethlehem. At least that's probably where they were intending to go. And they learned that a son of King Herod, whose name was Archelaus, was now the king in the area around Bethlehem. And he was as bad as his father had been. We know from historical records outside of Scripture that he was so bad that even Rome kicked him off of his throne and banished him to France on the other side of the Roman Empire. In the meantime, once again, an angel warned Joseph in a dream and directed them to go north, go back to Nazareth, up in Galilee. The good news in all of this is that once again, Satan lost. Once again, he's shown to be a loser. King Archelaus would be another one who would not get his hands on Jesus. And once again, we find that Scripture is right. One of the prophets had written, long before this, he will be called a Nazarene. It means somebody from Nazareth. The Messiah would come from an obscure little village well north of Jerusalem. You know, looking at all of this, as soon as Jesus was born, the devil was right at work. None of his plans worked. Instead, God intervened, God frustrated those plans, God protected the Savior, and the words of the prophets came true in the person of Jesus, even when he was a little baby, even when he was a toddler, even when he was a teenager. God wanted Jesus to do what Jesus did here on earth. The same devil. I'd love to be able to stand up here and say the devil's gone, but he's still working today. He can't stop Jesus, but he can stop you. Sometimes it seems like he's working especially hard right after we have all the joy and okay, all the stress of Christmas. What he's aiming for is very simple. Along with taking down the decorations, taking down the trees, we just leave them in the closet. Forget the Christmas carols for the next 11 months. Put away your joy. Put away your faith. You can stop being religious now, he tells us. You've done the religious thing, but now Christmas is over. It's time for reasonable people to get back to real life. That's what the devil would want us to think. Sometimes we listen. The truth is, there is no reason to throw our joy in Jesus Christ and our faith 
out with the wrapping paper. It's something to hold on to, always. The word from Jesus in just these few verses reminds us of two very important things. One important thing, Satan loses. The devil fails. And two, everything that God spells out for us in Scripture is true. Prophecies are always fulfilled. God always keeps His word. Keep those two things in mind, always. These two truths stand. Even when Christmas is over, even after Epiphany, even when all the routines of the rest of the year are underway. Throughout the life of Jesus, Satan lost and the Bible was vindicated. Think later when Jesus was an adult out in the wilderness. The devil failed to get Jesus to sin. Every effort to derail salvation failed. Jesus always had Scripture ready, a source of strength, a source of truth, to help him stand against every deceit and every temptation. You have the same words in Scripture. When Jesus was an adult, the devil lost every time Jesus opened his mouth to teach people the truth about God. The devil lost every time Jesus reached out with love and grace and mercy to the brokenhearted, to the sinners, to the hopeless, to the ill. And when the time came, because of you, Jesus refused to run from harm. He could have fled to Egypt again to be safe. But instead, Jesus walked right into harm's way. Instead of fleeing, Jesus would allow himself to be executed by the Roman government at the urging of the Jewish authorities. Because the way of salvation meant that the innocent, and by the innocent we mean Jesus, the innocent would take the punishment for all of the guilty sinners. Instead of the God the Father intervening again to protect Jesus, God the Father would turn away as His only begotten Son carried our sins to the cross. To the eye, yeah, it would seem that the devil had won there on Mount Calvary. It would seem that that revolution that Jesus was leading had failed, even though that revolution was not political, it was a revolution against sin and against the devil and against death. Truth is, even though it was hidden, on the cross the devil lost. Even there the words of the Bible came true. It was already spelled out for everybody to hear and read and trust that the Messiah would someday suffer and die to take away the sins of the world that the punishment that our sins deserve would be laid on Him, that by His stripes we would be healed. All of our sins, even all those times when we believe the lies of the devil, all of our sins have been washed away from the shed 
innocent blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can trust that. You can rest your entire life here and your entire eternity on what Jesus Christ has done. Satan loses. Holy Scripture is fulfilled. May that be true in our lives too. Because Jesus Christ was born and Jesus Christ succeeded. And that's what keeps our joy and our faith alive even when Christmas is over. The victory of Jesus when he was a child is a reminder of that big victory that he won for us on the cross and at that empty tomb. His victory on earth means our forgiveness and our everlasting life. And that changes everything. This victory of Jesus when he was still little reminds us of the victory that we can see for ourselves when this world is done. Something we'll be able to see with our own eyes. The devil will lose then too, and Holy Scripture will stand. So, how do we live now in the grace of God? How can we manage to thank Him for all the wonderful things He's done? As I think about that question, I I consider what Joseph was like. I admire him a lot. He wasn't trying to be famous. He wasn't trying to be powerful. He wasn't seeking his own glory. He was simply listening to God and doing what God told him. He heard the angel telling him, take his family down to Egypt. So, what did he do? He took his family down to Egypt. Here the angel telling him to go back to Israel. So what did he do then? He went back to Israel. He heard the angel telling him to avoid this new king, Archelaus. So once again, he did what God said. He went north to Nazareth instead where it would be safer. Joseph was a humble man. He was a servant. He knew that his plans were not better than God's. He wasn't worried about God threatening his independence. He wasn't insisting on living life his own way. He listened to God and followed wherever God led him. He trusted. That's how he responded to God's grace. That's how he glorified the God who sent the Savior into his life. You and I have the Word of God, not in dreams, but written down. I think at this moment, some of you are holding that Word. We can listen to it. We can follow it. We can trust it. We can rest our lives on earth and our lives for eternity on those words because they're God's. We can obey the Word because it's God's Word and you trust Him. We can trust every word in Scripture, not in order to deserve salvation, but because we know who God is and what He's like and how much He cares about us. We can read those words trusting that 
Jesus has already accomplished our salvation for us. And Jesus deserves that respect. And so we trust. We repent. We rest our lives in the hands of God. And that means Satan will continue to lose. And he'll continue to fail. He does not want you or anybody to know that God loves you. He doesn't want you to know that you can be forgiven for all the things we've done, that you've done wrong. He doesn't want you to know that you can stand before the God that created us and has sustained this universe. You can stand before God someday confident and bold and assured that He loves you. God will continue to keep every single promise He's made. This pattern will never change. The same God who was there with the prophets was there with Mary and Joseph and is here with every believer. He's here with you. So Christmas is over. I'm sure this tree will be gone before too long. We've had 12 days of Christmas. We've enjoyed them. But the joy of that season, the love of that season, the Savior... All of that lasts through every day and into eternity because of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing Jesus Christ to earth, for watching over him and keeping him safe, for demonstrating, Father, that there is victory in your hands. There's victory because of Jesus. There's victory through the work of the Holy Spirit. We do not have to cower in fear here in this lifetime. We can have a boldness and a confidence, not just because of the joy there of Christmas, but 365 days every year, year after year, from that point when we finally see, get to see you face to face and then through all of eternity without end. Thank you, Father, for that joy. Thank you, Father, for that good news that the shepherds rushed to see for themselves. The Simeon and Anna rejoiced in there at the temple. Thank you, Father, we can know that joy now because Jesus is the Savior. Let us hold on to that, Father, by your grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.